Welcome to the Pastors Podcast. This is Pastor Scott, and with me today are Chrissy Colmarie. Good to be with you guys. And Carolina Ortiz. Hello. Uh, some good friends and good friend, longtime friends, actually. We Okay, we, we won't even go into that, but <laughs> um, both of our families and, and mine, and I think people that, if you've been around for any amount of time, a uh, number of you know, but I, I'm excited to get to invite them to share a little bit about what God's been doing in the midst of our church family uh, in the context of your homes. I think sometimes uh, when we think about what God's doing in our church broadly, we think about, you know, external programs or, you know, things that you, I don't know, that end up on a church website. And we think less and less about the things that he's doing and the ways that he's working powerfully and actually showing himself faithful overwhelmingly faithful in our homes. Um, and I know that both of you have had an interesting number of years, <laughs> let alone an interesting year <laughs> this this past year, and uh, would love just to get an opportunity to today talk a little bit about the Lord's faithfulness in the midst of that. What, for, for those that don't know either of you or your stories, why don't you give us just a little bit of background on you and the makeup of your families? Um, I'll go first. I'm okay. Chrissy, and I'm married to Brian. We'll be married 12 years at the or the 21st of this month, and we have five children. Two of them are biological. One's um, my oldest is Quinn, who's 10, and she's in fourth grade. Weston is eight in second grade, and then we have three children that we adopted through foster care, which is Olivia, who is in kinder. Caroline is five. Olivia's six. Caroline's five. She's in preschool. And Ben is almost two, and the three of them share a biological parent, but we did not get them all at the same time. Um, <laughs> or didn't even foresee that. No. Um, <laughs> we adopt, well, we fostered Livy first, our oldest, our oldest foster adopt. And then a year later on her birthday, her sister was born, who was baby girl at the time. We named her Caroline. So since we had Olivia with us and we were active foster parents, we got the call. Um, to take her, and we did. And um, then all was quiet for a while, and mom was stable, and we assumed we were done. And um, for some reason, we could not finalize Caroline's adoption. We just couldn't get through the red tape. Things kept going wrong. We were foster parents way longer than we intended to. And um, then the baby boy was born. That was, that's Ben, and we finalized him in September. So that... That's even a piece of news, right? Oh, For, yeah. Right? That, that happened this year. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, less climactically, I think, than you would normally. You guys just like got a call? Um, we actually didn't get a call. You didn't even get a call? I, I turned in the paperwork, and <laughs> I hadn't heard from them in a while. And my social worker said, it's probably, you can probably just follow up with them because they won't let me, they won't tell me if it happened or not. So I called the court, and they're like, oh, who is it? Wait, hang on, let me check. And then... I listened to the music for a while and, and she's like, oh yeah, he finalized yesterday. And I was like, oh, oh by the way, <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, by the way, your son's a doctor, I, <laughs> you um. know, I hadn't had a shower that day. He was like, <laughs> he was filthy with whatever snack he, and I was like, yay, we're adopted. <laughs> there were no pictures, nothing uh, <laughs> so, in the middle of quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's, 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 it's also as crazy in quarantine style as that is. That yes. is exciting 
to have all three of them finalized. Yes. And I should have mentioned that as soon as we did finalize, I called my social worker and I told her to decertify our family. <laughs> so we are not active at this moment. <laughs> we are a closed family right now. So she actually made that call before she called Brian to say, <laughs> no. Um, all right. And Carolina. Yes. So uh, I'm married to Dan. We've been married for 11 years and we have three children. Sammy is 10 and Joel is eight. They're both our biological sons. And um, Maddie came to us when she was seven weeks old, um, also through the foster care system. And uh, we had her for a couple of months and then she was um, reunified to family, extended family. We got the call um, and basically were told she's going to family this afternoon. And I called Dan, who was at work, and I said, um, baby girl's leaving. And so he rushed home, and we spent time with her. Um, and then, of course, we get a call back. Um, actually, she's not leaving today. <laughs> so that's just the way the story goes. Um, she did leave us two days later. She was gone for three days, and then we get a call. Do you have an open bed? And we said, no, we are still hurting from yeah. Maddie leaving. We are mm. not ready to three, open up our three home. Days. Wow. Three days. Three oh, days. Okay. She was gone. Do you have an open bed? And we said, no, we're, we're still really recovering. Our children are sad about it. We are just brokenhearted. And they said, well, the bed's for her. <gasps> <laughs> so, oh, okay, she's coming back. And this time around, I felt like um, the first time, you know, we accepted, we were super excited the second time when they called us to, to take her, we were a little bit more um, informed. We were a little bit more careful. We asked mm. more questions. And so we said, what does it mean? Do you have any family that she could go to then? Um, it's really hard for our family to have this back and forth. So we would really want to know what's going to happen with her before we kind of put our kids through the ringer again. And they said, right now, this was the only family that we had identified who could take her. Um, we don't have anyone else. And as far as we're concerned, she should be with you. Um, and the biological family that she was with also believes that they should be with you. Um, she should be with you. She, they're very overwhelmed with her half-brother, who they were finalizing at the moment, and their own biological children and caring for their elderly parents. And so, um, of course, we said yes, 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 yes. And um, three days later, um, so she was gone a total of six days, three days later, we were able to um, meet up and... Um, and take her back. And mm -hmm. so we got a chance to um, foster her for two years total. And then um, we finalized just after her second birthday. And um, at that point, we were feeling pretty overwhelmed. Um, mm. Our two boys um, are on the autism spectrum, and they come with a whole set of challenges. Um, and um, Maddie was also displaying some special needs as well. And we thought, this is probably about where we should stop. <laughs> so we decertified too. Um, we're like, we're, we're, we're good for now. Um, maybe later, but we are good for now. Mm. So that's kind of our family makeup. And how, how old's Maddie now? Maddie is turning four. Oh my gosh. So I know in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I want to get in a little bit to the just unique nature of navigating your homes this year in the midst of everything. But, but before we do that, how can you tell just, a, I know it's not a brief story, but, <laughs> but can you tell just, you know, a, a brief version of how you got involved in foster 
adoption in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, I can go first. Yeah. Uh, I got into it for a very self-serving reason, which mm. was to grow my family. And um, I started kind of considering adoption before I was even married. And because I got married older, the selfish part of me is like, well, what if I can't have kids? How do I have kids? So it was a very self-serving reason. But as soon as Brian and I actually talked it through, we decided the best way to um, go forward was to educate ourselves. So I started reading everything, blogs, books, listened to podcasts, articles, and um, we went to a faith-based conference in the Valley and visited basically every breakout we could, which is about different aspects of adoption, domestic, international, embryonic, and foster. And the one that we came away with was we were faced with the absolute need in our specific city. Um, our, Our city is the greatest. We have the greatest need here in Los Angeles. And we thought, well, maybe we should actually be here to meet a need instead of serve our family. Mm. So then we started considering foster care. Um, then I got pregnant and I had my <laughs> own child and, um, and then we kind of put it on the back burner. And then I had Wes, my second. And as soon as he, I, I was actually pregnant with him and I had this very vivid dream that I met somebody and he was like, well, I'm, I was, you know, I was adopted. And I woke up thinking, oh my gosh, I think this is a call to like, not forget about this, even though mm. my second biological child is on the way. Like, I don't think I'm allowed to turn this off and stop thinking about it. Mm. So as soon as Wes was one, we started um, classes to certify for foster care, Mm. becoming foster care parents. And then we got our first placement three weeks after we finished. (laughs) So Wes was barely two when we got our first placement. Yeah. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. It was wild. Wild ride. (laughs) I I was going to say it was wild, but it's been wild since then. Yeah, it has. It's not like that was that wild time, and then (laughs) yeah, it just gets wilder. It It does. 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 (laughs) Even if you decertify, it stays wild. (laughs) That's when the real work begins. It feels like (laughs) for sure, for sure. All right. So, what about for you and Dan, Carolina? So I'm going to blame you, Scott, because (laughs) you and Laura were super sneaky. Years ago, when you were starting your adoption process and you gifted us this fantastic book, (laughs) Adopted for Life, and um, you said, you know, we just want our friends to understand our journey and walk with us through this journey, and here's this book. We were, of course, so excited to walk with you, Mm -hmm. but as we read the book, um, God really started to change our hearts. And adoption was never something that we were closed off to. We just hadn't considered it. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were really busy with with our two kids. And so we really felt the Lord just kind of weighing heavy on our hearts for that. And so we ended up attending the Cornerstone um, Orphan Care Conference, getting a little bit more information. And we started a private adoption process, um, very, very um, beginning stages. So we reached out to an agency. We really appreciated their uh, mission. Um, And then we ended up kind of finding out um, that for good reason, um, they had some parameters that maybe weren't going to work for our family. Um, We really were hoping to um, adopt um, a child of some sort of Latino background, being that our family is Latino, we speak Spanish, 
we really wanted to be able to recreate a more natural cultural um, family setting for a child just because we are uniquely qualified in that way. Mm -hmm. I remember asking you, like, is it wrong that we want a little brown girl? (laughs) And you were like, not at all. There's tons of them. (laughs) The need is there. So we just, that was really, we prayed about that. And that was really in our hearts. Um, But this particular agency said, you know, we want the biological mother to feel like they, um, their child's going to have a home regardless of of, of um, their gender and, and their background. So um, God just told us to put that on hold. And in that time, we were watching the Colmrays get into foster care. And the Lord kind of switched gears on us that way. And we thought, okay, this is crazy. Here we are, our two sons in the process of getting their um, autism diagnosis and we're figuring out treatment. We couldn't possibly take on any more. And so we really prayed about it and um, for a long time. And we started taking classes and it took us two years. Mm. And it doesn't normally take that long, but that's just the pace that God had us take. And we got to a more stable place with um, our boys' um, services and their treatments. And um, we decided to just go for it. So we were certified. And we always um, thought that we would get a call right away. And it <laughs> turns out we got a call like, Two months later, we were like, wait a minute, what? We thought there was a big need. Um, And there is, but we see this recurring theme where people get certified. And then for some reason, we have all these kids out there that need homes and we're not getting the calls. We finally got um, a call and um, it it wasn't the right fit. It was mostly um, like a family needing respite for a while. And um, we we were really trying to be protective of our children, mm. um, of our biological tr- children and um, the attachments that they would form. And um, so we just um, kind of passed on that first call. We felt terrible about that. Um, mm. We got over that. And then we got a second call for Maddie. And um, that's kind of how we got started. Mm. And... and- <laughs> In the midst of that, it, what what s- stood out to me about that was, in the midst of entering into that process, like you, it, you had your hands full before this process. We right? did. I mean, not, not not that like any of the rest of us don't, but like you particularly had your hands full. We did. We had a lot of people actually really disagree with our decision, mm. and because um, they thought you were already juggling too much? We were juggling too much. Um, I think that my family was just really protective of me mm. and my workload already. Um, and they were just worried that this mm. was going to be a lot. And um, of course they met Maddie and mm. <laughs> they they really walked this journey with us. And um, how can you not be on board once you meet that sweet little child? Yeah. But we, we did have our hands full already. Okay. So that's interesting. And it, it, we can edit this out if you don't want me to ask this question. But I like I think what's what's really interesting is you you in one sense pushed through when you already really had your hands full and even people around you were like I, like I don't know like I don't, I don't know if you have the capacity to do this at the same time which I think encourages us sometimes to step outside of our comfort zone to right. say like hey sometimes when we think we're full like we might not be right at the same time you you're both in a situation now where you're like no no I actually am full and I'm deserted. so there's a line there. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's sometimes foolish of us to say, there's no line there. Just do whatever. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I think that, I, um, we talk about this in my family. My wife tries to remind me of this. Like, <laughs> no, there's a line there. Like the most sacrificial thing isn't always like something you actually have capacity to do. How, how has your, 
how has your family navigated that between like pushing through when you're like, we're full and we actually, this is something we need to step into versus also recognizing our, our finitude and the fact that we actually are, do have limits. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I, having experienced both, I, I don't know. Can you speak into that at all? For sure. Um, I think that we just kept taking steps forward, um, really relying on the Holy Spirit to tell us when to stop. Mm. And so there was a lot of prayer, um, of course, you know, talking to other families that were doing it. Um, and we just kept taking steps, kept taking classes, next steps, next steps. And we were waiting for God and we were really trying to be very sensitive to his voice telling us to stop. And he just didn't. Mm. And, um, I think that we do have to be sacrificial. Like things shouldn't be easy. Things should hurt. Mm. Um, and once you see the need, especially here in LA County, like Chrissy mentioned, the biggest foster care system in the nation, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you have to take everything on, Mm -hmm. but we thought if we can just take one and Mm. it's going to hurt and it's going to be really hard and it's going to push us. But right now we're not feeling that God is saying no. Mm. So we walked each step and we got Maddie. We're dealing with all of that. And, um, this is where we feel like, okay, we are overextended. Yeah. And so this is where we stop. Yeah. And as much as we'd like to do it more, we just feel that calling to, totally. to this is, this is as far as we go. No, I, I think there's, there's so much wisdom there, right? It requires wisdom. It requires counsel and prayer and, you know, there's not like a simple uh, answer there to any of us, but I, I just appreciate that because I think that. Uh, even just the the modeling of both of those aspects, right? I think sometimes it is important to push ourselves through. Also, I think it's sometimes really important to recognize our our limits mm-hmm. and our finitude and, and to wrestle through that together. It's it's not it's never quite simple one one thing or the other. If I could say something yeah. really quick about that yeah. too, um, I think for us, <laughs> Brian kept joking like, "I want another baby, I want another baby." When we were in the throes of. <laughs> getting our um, other kids kind of the services they needed. And my thing was like, no, no, please, Lord, no. <laughs> but we couldn't close this, this stinking adoption. Like we had to stay certified. Mm. So in the back of my mind, I knew that if the Lord was like, listen, if if I'm going to, are you ready? Yeah, I'm going to hold like, this open for a reason. I'm ready, but I don't want to. And mm. th- there's difference. And then once um, we finalized Ben, I was in the throes of getting Ben and Caroline some services, and I knew that taking on more kids would do a disservice. So once once you get to the point where you, you're doing a disservice to the children that you've been mm. put in charge of, mm-hmm. you have to take a good, long, hard look at what's best for your family. Mm. Um, right. And that's why we closed our certification for now. Yeah. And okay. I don't know if that means we reopen or not, yeah. but yeah. yeah. There are so many hours in the day, and yeah. when they're filled with yeah. At one point, you know, visits, if you have biolog- you know, visits with biological family, when, you know, you're filled with school and preschool and um, with therapies and just everyday obligations, at some point, like you said, we are um, supposed to be really good stewards of the children that God has placed in our home. And if pushing ourselves beyond what we can handle at that moment, then we aren't being the best stewards. Um, in my, in my opinion, yeah. I couldn't be a good steward of the children that I had if mm-hmm. I took on any more. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate both the ways that both of your stories model both aspects mm -hmm. of that, that I think is actually, that's what's really helpful for us, even as a church family, right? As we, as individuals think through these things in a way that's not simplistically like, you know, everybody has to do X or simplistically nobody can because we're all too, you know, whatever. Um, anyways, I, I that's helpful. Thanks for letting me ask. Mm -hmm. What What about, okay, okay. so Chrissy, you, you talked a little bit about <laughs> this last year and Ben finalizing and in mm -hmm. the midst of trying to get Ben and other girls services and everything else. What What's made this year, I mean, maybe I'll combine these questions, but what has made this year particularly challenging and how have you seen God work yeah. and provide in the midst of those challenges? Um, if we want to get like, do you want us to answer this on like a personal level? I mean, obviously you're asking about our families. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the context of your, yeah, of your family, as opposed to like, What's made it, you know, right. difficult okay. generally, but yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, what's, what's been particularly okay. difficult for your family and how have you seen God work in that? Well, for me, the age range of my kids has been extremely hard. I've got, mm. well, he was an infant when this started last March. Well, he was almost one, but still he was napping a couple times a day. And then I had elementary kids and then I had preschoolers and those three all home. stage yes all all home <laughs> all those three stages zoom. even if they're not home it's so hard totally. to navigate those three yeah. stages at the same time um and i had to actually sit quinn down at one point i think it was it, it was when brian was ill with his tooth and i was like do you see mommy do you see me suffering? <laughs> I need help. <laughs> I, I basically had to tell her, like, you're my oldest. It is now your role to help me. Mm. And as soon as I told her, something in her woke up and she became what we, we now call her mini mama. And Ben calls her Mimi because he sees her as mini mama. But I I was doing all of those roles for everybody mm. from, from my nine-year-old below. And I was mothering everyone. And that was extremely hard mm. under any circumstance. And then you throw behavior challenges, um, in particularly uh, my preschoolers at the time, Livy and Caroline. I mean, preschoolers just don't do well with transitions anyways. Yeah. So you throw in this giant transition where they had just settled into preschool. They had just gotten used to routine and they were carpooling with um, Alina every day. Mm. They were getting really close to their kids and their teachers. And then, boom, it's it's done. We're not going to see them anymore. And you don't get playdates. And mm. we can't go to the park. And everything was taken. Um, so, I mean, any child would have a problem with that. But m those two girls in particular went into a spiral. And I was just, like, also trying to keep the baby alive. And I was also trying to keep Wes on task and help him learn how to navigate Seesaw. Um, so I think that was the, the, which is not a playground equipment. It's not, a, no, sorry. It's an app. <laughs> it's an app that all the kids are trying to figure out for school for their online schooling. Right. Yeah. If you're a kid listening, you totally get it. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, so then I had to change gears and realize, okay, my children still need some sort of intervention. Mm. It's not going to be preschool anymore, but it can't just be me. They can't just sit around coloring for six hours a day. Mm. So I had to really pump up uh, my time as an advocate. I became an, a full-time advocate. I was always an advocate for my child, my children, but I was full-time. I was emailing, I was texting, I was on the phone, I was following up. These are not short phone calls. Like you are on hold for two hours at a time mm. and um, people are interviewing you and it's personal and they ask you about your past and then I get triggered. And <laughs> 
just, it was like all of this emotional mm. stuff coming up just to get my kids paid attention to so that I could tell them, listen, any preschooler would have a hard time, but these preschoolers, you have to pay attention because this is detrimental to their health and well-being. Mm. And it was on me and me alone to do that. Mm. And um, it's still there. Like I'm still, I've gone through the hardest parts of it, but I, it's exhausting. Um, people are always like, do you get enough sleep? I was like, don't ask me that question. Like bedtime is, <laughs> is a luxury. Like I use those hours to advocate for my kids or catch up on emails. Um, respite, it was unattainable and unimaginable because you've got this virus and mm. you can't touch people and they can't come into your home. So it went from basically zero to 5,000. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, that's, that's how it was challenging. How did I see the Lord providing um, Carolina and I had been working on this event called Mosaic LA Moms, and we were going to do kind of like a respite day, and that was supposed to happen in 2020 in March. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and we, we locked down like, what, like three weeks before we were supposed to launch it. Mm -hmm. And it was really devastating and, and really grievous to like uh, be meeting. We had a little steering committee of foster and adoptive moms. We were ready to go, and we couldn't meet. So um, instead, we started a, an online Marco Polo um, group where we just started talking. We're like, let's just keep meeting virtually on Marco Polo. And um, it turned into a support group mm. monthly. And um, most of our, mom, our moms come, but some can't. And it's just, we've just brought in stragglers here and there mm -hmm. through Facebook or um, Instagram and just ran or neighbors or whatever. And it's just been such a, a saving grace to be able to, get on Marco Polo and be like, I just had the worst conversation with Medicare. And, <laughs> and these other moms can totally relate. Or yeah. uh, I, I think that's just been such a lifesaver, uh, a life lifesaver. Yeah, they're those floaty things. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you got it. It's also a candy. So it's, it's, it's confusing. Yeah, totally. Um, also, this is a total um, luxury, but our house was finished in May and we were able to move back into it and if we didn't have the square footage we had for the for the privilege for Brian to, to work at home in his own space and for me to not have every kid at the kitchen table, it mm. would have been so much harder. And I just mm. see that as like the Lord's grace. Like he, mm. it felt like the worst timing to, um, to do our house um, when a pandemic hits, but it was also the most perfect timing because mm. During that time, we still had um, little things to be done in our house, and we still had contractors coming in and out every day, but they befriended our kids, and one of them was a foster parent, hmm. Andres, and um, he was fostering out of, um, I want to say Glendor, somewhere far, but he was just so down, and he figured out that I was fostering, and he watched me parent my kids, and he would always ask me questions and um, Brian got to talk to him and pray with him. And it turned out he stopped going to church because he just didn't feel supported. Hmm. So I, I don't, I mean, I don't, we don't have a close relationship with Andres anymore, but he, I just felt like there were like little nuggets in there where hmm. the Lord kept like using our family, even though we were so underwater with simple things by somebody coming to fix our faucet yeah. daily. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, what, and what a cool picture of, of how he had orchestrated that ahead of time, mm -hmm. right? We were like, oh, yeah. okay, I don't, I don't even know what I'm going to need. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to just providing these things, whether they're relationships, whether it's a physical space, just in uh, 
the perfect timing when it's when it feels like everything you were planning got like turned upside down and yet in in the upside down the lord had it like prepared where everything was going to fall yeah and, and it didn't make it like easy right. or give you full nights of sleep necessarily <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah but what a what it was uh, a picture of uh, his faithfulness in the midst mm-hmm. I know it's been quite a year for you too, Carolina. I was thinking about what Chrissy was saying, and it feels like manna in the mm-hmm. wilderness. Mm. And you don't know when it's going to stop, but right. you're grateful for the manna of the day. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of challenges. Um, our, you know, our children being in school usually, and now transitioning to being in home. Um, and quickly trying to pick up the pieces and try to get um, a learning area set up for them. Um, our boys, uh, when they're in school, they each have their own individual aid. Mm-hmm. Well, that was gone. Mm. So here I am, literally sitting between them. You're the um, teacher and the aid. I'm the teacher, the aid, the behavior interventionist, <laughs> yes. uh, the mom, the cook, yeah. um, all while trying to keep a toddler like from Zoom bombing, like okay. <laughs> she's in her diaper and I'm like trying to shoo her away. I'm like throwing toys across the room, hoping she'll go get them. But the screen is so much more interesting. And I had both boys um, in separate classrooms because they're a year apart. So I had headphones plugged in. They each were wearing one like earbud and then I was wearing the other one. So I'm listening oh to like gosh, one gosh. kid's teacher <laughs> teach in one ear and the other kid um, with an earbud and his teacher teaching in my other ear. And I'm trying to keep it all straight and I'm trying to get them to just sit because, of course, they just want to up and walk away. And they did. There were so many days where they just closed that laptop and they walked away. And it was their way of expressing, I really don't like this. This is really hard. Um, so that was really tough. But one way that God really um, came through for us is that um, we are at a very small alternative school and we have um, a multi-age model. And it just so happens that this year they are in um, third and fourth grade and we have a third and fourth grade pod. And I requested they be in the same class and that was granted. And that was so huge because... um, Uh. If I'm going to be managing Zoom for two kids, it's so much easier to have it just be one set of assignments. So that was a little bit of God's grace there, um, which I really appreciated. Um, so not having their, you know, one-on-one aids was so so hard because I am doing all of that. Um, but one another grace was that um, our boys um, they get applied behavioral analysis therapy, so ABA, and um, for some reason, our company felt that it was medically necessary to still continue to come into our homes. Mm. And so when everybody was super afraid and freaking out Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't go into homes, I felt like it was manna Mm -hmm. and they came into our homes and um, they were still working with the kids. And um, we were so grateful for those few hours a day where we did have some reinforcements. Um, So that was really wonderful. And, and, And it was like, every day wondering when are they going to shut this down? When are we going to go to therapy sessions on Zoom? Um, because mm. that was going to be really honestly impossible. And thankfully to this day, they've not stopped coming. You know, they come and they're masked and um, we're doing the best that we can. Um, it's still very, very challenging, mm. so hard, but that's been um, fantastic. Um, 
Maddie's school um, at some point a few months later reopened. They decided to um, just limit the number of students that were in this private preschool and um, make sure that grownups were not entering and just all these protocols. And so it was fantastic for her because she is someone who really needs um, socialization. She has some social pragmatic deficits. And although she is not um, outgoing or, you know, the friendliest kid, um, just observing friendliness in others was really important for her. So we were really excited about that. Um, one of the other challenges that we faced is that uh, Dan uh, lost his job. Mm-hmm. So um, his company was right in the middle of this. totally mm-hmm. affected by the pandemic and um, they were completely shut down. Their company was completely shut down. So after, after months of chaotic working, chaotic working, very long hours. Um, and then all of a sudden it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. So not only is that gone, but of course, health insurance is gone. Mm -hmm. And so many families had that happen that people just lost their jobs and then they didn't access their health insurance and whatever services they had with that. We were so, so, um, fortunate that we were able to get on COBRA and kind of bridge that gap. And that was really hard because on the one hand, we were, I was worried. I'm not going to lie. Like I was, I was worried. Um, we've seen dry spells in the past with, with Dan and, and, and work. And so um, we were worried, worried about that, but um, we also didn't want to not, um, you know, walk in faith and enjoy that time because he was home and he was totally dedicated to the family and we were able to tag team the three kids. And that was really incredible. So I wanted to balance just having that joy and that sweet time and taking that as like a family vacation <laughs> locked in our homes um, <laughs> and just balance that. And sure enough, God's goodness, six weeks, he was out of work for six weeks and he got a new job. Mm. And a really great such one. An to prayer. In the such, middle of a pandemic. In the middle yeah, of a pandemic. Mir- and he, that's miraculous. He works for a theater company. I mean, theaters <laughs> are hired, shut down. He got hired by a theater company in the middle, in the middle of, of, of a pandemic. pandemic. Oh, my. I mean, if that's not, if that's not like yeah. a miracle, I don't know what is, yeah. but it was, um, it was pretty incredible. So we just mm. see God's mercy. Um, but we don't always know what it's going to be and mm. we don't know how long it's going to last and really just living in faith day by day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, in, in a certain way, like a job with a theater in the midst of a pandemic could be like <laughs> seen as mannequin from heaven. And another <laughs> way you could be like, uh, wait, how long is this going to last? Right. Right. And it could be a right. source of stress. Yeah. And, and I mean, in, in some ways like it is, and in, life's always that way, but I, I love I, your analogy is so great, Carolina, because each one of these instances is, it's manna, mm-hmm. which is different than a removal from the desert mm-hmm. or the wilderness. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? It's it's okay. not it's it's not this like gift that says, Oh, okay, like you're in the promised land now. Right. It's it's just the day's provision. Mm-hmm. Right? It's this it's this prayer, it's the answer to the to Jesus' prayer, right? The Lord's prayer to give us today our daily bread. Right? Just give me enough for today. And you're right, you don't know how long it's gonna last, where it's going to come from next. But to see his faithfulness each step of the way reminds you that way. Okay, I, I, I don't have to know to strive to fight to trust to to trust that it's it's going to come one way or another. Um, sometimes even from the ways we don't we can at least expect it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I, I think that it, it's beautiful to see the ways in which he has provided that he continues to provide. I think, I mean, I know both of you have a heart as well for, you mentioned earlier, just having a clear understanding of the reality at the same time of the need in our midst of the ways that in which sometimes we are called to be the agents of manna, right? To, to be the hands and the feet that, that provide that, uh, for others too. Um, Chrissy, maybe could you just shine a little bit of light on why this past year, not just for your families, but why this past year has been particularly difficult for those connected to the foster system mm-hmm. generally? And, I, you know, I mean, I think there's so many different dynamics at work in how it affects the courts and everything else that I, I just don't think we think about a lot. I mean, the the first thing we have to understand is this isolation has again, for everybody, but especially for foster families, kids in care, there's been a decline in mental health. Mm. Um, when you're isolated, your thoughts are not in a, a place of necessarily speaking truth to yourself. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that because over, there was a, a small survey, it was small, but there were about 300 foster families surveyed And they said, what is your biggest struggle in this pandemic? And they said, the decline of my mental health and my kids. And the the actual virus worry about losing someone to the virus was third. Mm. So the the decline of their mental health was first. And the virus itself was the third thing that they worried about. Um, I I mean, that kind of speaks to itself. And Carolina and I don't care for teens, but... uh, they're in such crisis, especially foster teens. Most teens in care are in facilities and group homes, which means that, I, I mean, the staff was probably less mm. <laughs> vigilant yeah. about checking in on them. I know that many of them didn't have their classes come see them anymore. They maybe had phone calls with them, and if they were lucky, they had FaceTime. But the CASAs who tend to skew older, um, we know some young CASAs, but some of, most of the CASAs are, tend to skew older, so are retirement. So they were, retirees are told, stay home, don't go anywhere. So so for, for people's, so what 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 role does a CASA play? Right, in, so for a sorry, I'm, no, using, okay. I'm starting it's to use okay. terms, I'm like, oh, not everybody understands. Right. So CASA is, Carolina, help me out. You're it's really, a court-appointed <laughs> special advocate. Yes, Carolina is my, <laughs> <laughs> so um so basically you are a volunteer who is dedicated to one child that you're assigned to, and it's your job to make sure that they get the services that they need. And so it's like a consistent presence yes. as kids are going from right. placement, look, placement to placement. To placement. Right. There's at least some consistent presence. Right. But you're saying that even that consistent presence in the midst of this was right. taken away. Yes. And and social workers change all the time. So they might be close to their social worker, but social workers come and go. Got it. Um, and a, a lot of times there's there's not really a trust built between the social worker and the child. So the cost is there to say, I have your back. I'm never leaving you as long as you're in care. Um, and they do everything from, I don't know, grocery shop to take them to court appointments. They hold, mm. you know. They're, they're very special. So if you are listening and you <laughs> cannot take in a child, you can become a CASA. You should do some research on that and we can connect you to, I'm not going to throw down names right now, but we can connect you <laughs> we, to somebody sure. who will help we walk know you a through CASA. that. Yes. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, because because these teens are not being checked in on, they're going AWOL, and AWOL is, is basically leaving. They're just leaving their facility. Mm-hmm. They end up back on the streets. They end up using. Um, they end up being trafficked um, mm-hmm. sexually, and it, they're just in crisis. And sometimes, you know, there was the suicide rate went up. Mm-hmm. It's just really tragic. And we don't see them necessarily because they're not in our physical homes within mm-hmm. – um, I don't think I know any mom that has a teen right now, except for maybe on social media, but it, they're, they're more hidden from our view. And I think it's easier to think of, of foster care and how it affects our kids who are like cute and 10 and under, but mm-hmm. we don't think about those teens that this really took a toll on. And we are seeing that in some situations, we have these um, foster families that have multiple kids and they felt like if you're, you know, going back mm-hmm. to the whole idea of bandwidth, they could handle that because they were sending kids off to school. Um, they were managing their visits and all these things. Well, the pandemic hits. These foster families in a lot of situations are trying to work. They're trying to balance managing school. So what um, we're actually seeing is that um, they are having a lot of behavioral issues that then foster families say, we just can't. Mm-hmm. And so then they're ending up in group homes. Mm-hmm. So they're um, they're they're leaving these homes because the behaviors are more than what the foster families can handle. They don't have any additional resources or support. They're ending up in group homes, and they're actually even being sent out of state because mm-hmm. we just don't have the capacity here. Mm-hmm. So it's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate even just that little bit of light shined on that I think because I to what you said earlier. I think for years now. Um, I think this has been the heart both of our church and a number of individuals that we, we can't look away from the need. We also can't solve it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But uh, prayerfully seeking the Lord and asking, I think for all of us, like what, how can I help be a part of the your hands and feet? How can I be a part of the manna mm-hmm. in a situ- in a city where this is one of, if not the largest crisis, kind of humanitarian crisis mm-hmm. our city uh, faces. And so anyway, we, we, we'll, we'll talk more. We'll do other podcasts about that. Uh, <laughs> but I, but I, I really just want to um, wrap up as we just hear um, returning to the idea of both of your stories. And as you look back on the last year, we've seen how God has provided in the midst of that. Um, my last question is just how, how have you seen the Lord working? Um, what's he been teaching you? You know, these these tough times aren't all about what he teaches you. Sometimes we don't know. Some of you are looking at me like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's okay. But um, what have you seen him teaching you through the midst of this last year? Well, you know... That's a that's a really good question. Because um, <laughs> on a daily basis, I just feel like my head is spinning. Mm. And I feel like I don't know. Mm. Like, it's all just too raw still. Yeah. And I can't always see it. Like, I, I'm my head's spinning. And I don't always know. But I just remember years ago, Scott, um, where I was having a really hard time. And I remember you asking me, you know, besides reading the Bible and going to church, um, where are you getting truth spoken into your life? Like who is speaking truth into your life? Who is giving you like life giving truth? And this idea of staying connected to other people 
um, which is so hard to do in a pandemic, but there are ways to do it. I'm super grateful because um, we did start this um, foster adoptive mom group. Um, Chrissy kind of got us all on Marco Polo, and that's been such a saving grace because mm. we need to stay connected. We need to stay connected with people that understand us that are going through similar things. Um, we're moms and we're busy. And so we can't always be live on a FaceTime call or on a Zoom call. But Marco Polo has been fantastic because we can just pour our hearts out, ask questions, seek resources, and everybody can just hop on, watch it whenever they can and respond whenever they can. And that is so amazing. So I think that what I've learned is that, um, can we do this alone? Sure. I think that we can like white knuckle it for a while, mm. but, um, in the same way that God, um, is a relational God and how, um, he, um, desires to even just fellowship with himself, like this triune God that fellowships with himself. Um, he desires to fellowship with us. Um, he puts the Holy spirit in us. Um, he desires for us to fellowship with one another and I think that it's been really important to keep that going. Um, and then it's grown into this support group that meets monthly. And we have random people, friends of friends. <laughs> I know someone who knows someone and they show up and maybe they just show up once and they let us know I was super blessed by it. And then they move on. And I feel like in a lot of ways we're a, we're, um, a place of rest for them. They come, they hear stories, they get encouraged. And then we push them back out and they're like, they can go back and do this one more day. Yeah. Um, so that's been such um, a fantastic way that we've seen um, God work and teach us that we are meant to be relational. And um, he's given us the technology to allow us to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even when we can't get together and play date, um, have play dates and, and, and just have FaceTime in person, we are to stay connected. Like we're mm. not supposed to neglect the coming together. We're supposed to encourage one another to good works. And we can do that on whatever platform that we have available to us. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Appreciate that. Um, for me, I mean, this has been a really dry, barren season of grief. Mm. Uh, just witnessing the multiple ways that we, as our nation specifically is divided, has just mm. caused me such sorrow because ultimately it's our kids that suffer at the hands of the adults that can't unite. Mm. <laughs> and that is completely out of my control. Um, but I've realized during the season, along with everything else, it's a season of tilling the soil and tending to the roots of my faith. Mm. And I just kind of got this, this mental picture of um, I, I assume that like the fruit of God's work would be assumed and seen and called good. And it just hasn't. It's been misinterpreted at times. It's been if it's if it's an apple, it's been called a grapefruit. Mm. And I I've really gotten my feelings hurt. Like <laughs> I'm doing all this work, you guys, in the trenches, and nobody understands me. And I realized that I it's not about the fruit that I'm producing. It's about how strong my faith is in in the Lord and mm. and His work. And it's so hard to, to lose sight of that when you are spinning so many plates. But the Lord has been showing me like during this bare and dry season, I want you to till that soil. It's time to get to work. And eventually, I know that he wants me to have a confidence that even if my fruit is misinterpreted or someone thinks that me wearing a mask means something politically, mm. I can stand confidently knowing that I'm fulfilling my calling and purpose that he has in my life. 
Mm. And it's taken me until a, almost a whole year of pandemic living to figure <laughs> that out. And, uh, and we are just, I just start, I've just started with, you know, the stake in the ground. But mm. um, I'm, I'm extremely, as sharing with Brian, I, I'm extremely grateful for this season. And um, I'm realizing that my chaotic um, family, my giant family is actually an opportunity to allow our community to serve. And people have been telling me that forever. Like, of course, I want to babysit for you. It's no problem. But I've always felt this guilt and shame in asking people. And I will like rush to like, make it easier. I'll get the baby down. I'll get Caroline settled. You know, I'll put her in my bed that night so that no one disturbs anybody. And I've realized they can come into the trenches too and yeah. give me some respite for an hour. It's okay. Everyone's going to be fine. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't allowing them to serve, to be the hands and feet mm. by, by trying to do it all. And that's all it's done is made me weary and tired. And that's mm. not what the Lord has for me. Mm. Um, so that's what I've been, that's what I've been learning <laughs> in this season. Thank you both. I, I, I feel like it is such a privilege uh, I mean, it's such a privilege for the glimpses I get into both of your lives, but I feel like it's such a privilege for us, even as a church family, to get this glimpse into the incredible, miraculous work he's been doing in your homes during a season where it probably has felt like uh, nobody's ever going to notice and nobody's like, <laughs> you know, and you just totally isolate. And it echoes to me the both the affirmation of the incredible work he's doing in your homes, but also the incredible work that he's been doing in homes across our city, mm -hmm. in our church family, that like he's been doing miraculous things in really quiet, secluded, isolated places this year. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's grievous in some ways, um, but it's also very real. It also... He's also working and, and transforming in so many different ways, and I feel like this this conversation I think just gets gets gives us a glimpse into that broadly, and also a, a glimpse into it specifically and how what an incredible testimony of his faithfulness and love to provide manna for the day <laughs> to not always you know deliver us immediately to the promised land <laughs> uh, to remind us of that ultimate hope we have. Uh, in eternal life, but in the meantime, to know that he is going to meet us and meet the challenge of the day. I know it's a huge encouragement to me, and it's going to be a huge encouragement to, to everybody listening. So thank you so much for the privilege of getting to have eyes in, just a, even just a glimpse, a tiny little glimpse into the, the complexity of that. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Well, and thank you for listening. We I hope that you've been as blessed by that as I have. And um, and also encouraged by the reminder of the kind of the bits of manna that the Lord's been providing and, and is providing and is providing today uh, in your home, uh, in your life as well. So thanks for listening. We love you and we miss you. And we will see you one way or another on Sunday. <laughs>